I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Disruptive changes to the healthcare landscape are creating new tensions in the traditional relationship between pharmaceutical companies and patient advocacy groups, according to the findings of a new report from Inventive Health. The report, based on interviews with nearly four dozen representatives of patient advocacy organization, finds patient advocates expect greater transparency from their pharmaceutical partners, want to play an increased role in clinical trial design and execution, and see a role for themselves in education campaigns for patients and providers. We spoke to Heather Gartman, Regional Managing Director of Inventive Health, about the report, the changing dynamics between pharmaceutical companies and patient advocacy organizations, and whether the long-term health of the symbiotic relationship is in jeopardy. Heather, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's uh, good to be talking with you. Well, we're going to go through a number of changes to healthcare policy, even social media that's impacting the nature of the relationship between pharmaceutical companies and patient advocacy groups. Perhaps you can begin with describing what this relationship has been historically and, and its symbiotic nature. Well, I think over the years, you know, it, it, you know I, I do the relationship between patient advocacy groups and the pharmaceutical companies as marriage. And over the years, I think it's been, you know, a, a pretty good marriage, but it's had its ups and downs like like no other. And I think, you know, it can always be fixed with a little counseling. But, um, you know, they, it, it, I think that both groups need each other. And um, over the years, I think how it's changed or how what we heard from our survey that we recently did of um, over 40 patient advocacy groups is that it has definitely changed in terms of patient advocacy groups wanting to be involved with pharmaceutical companies from the very beginning of development almost in the clinical trial stage. Um, And I think in the past, pharmaceutical companies have really mostly, not always, but mostly engaged uh, patient advocacy groups when they had a campaign that they wanted to partner with with a, a group on or that already had some developed ideas and and I don't you know mostly was not in the development stage right I think now patient advocacy groups want to be involved from development through to patient education so really the whole life cycle let's take the patient protection and affordable care act the landmark legislation that greatly expanded healthcare and is bringing about changes in the power dynamic of payers and providers and drug makers and leading to shifting burdens. How does this impact the relationship between pharmaceutical companies and patient advocates? What's what's its impact? How is it putting new pressure on that relationship? You know, we, we talked a little bit about that. I mean, I think by the very nature of how things are changing with the Affordable Care Act, there is a refocus on state-level advocacy, and we did hear from several patient advocacy groups that they um, had to spend more time on the state level, um, either trying to get drugs on formulary or really trying to help their patients and their stakeholders navigate through um, state-run insurance or, um, or, or state formulary. So, 
in the past, the advocacy groups have spent a lot of time or most of their time on the national level, and many of them have lobbied on the national level or, you know, represented their patients on the national level. Now we heard that several of them, um, due to the Affordable Care Act, feel that they are spending uh, more and more time at the state level. Well, there seems to be a fair bit of frustration among patient advocacy groups. There's been a big increase in their sophistication. And your survey indicates that pharmaceutical companies and their interactions don't necessarily acknowledge this. What would patient advocacy groups like to see pharmaceutical companies do differently? I mean, I think that's a really good question. Um, I think that number one thing that patient advocacy groups and what we heard from our survey would like to see pharmaceutical companies do differently is collaborate more and collaborate earlier on, even more importantly. So um, start working and talking with the patients and the patient advocacy groups, again, right from the beginning. If they perhaps talk to the patient advocacy groups when they're developing a protocol for recruitment of a clinical trial, if a protocol is done in such a way that they've had patient uh, input and it's more likely that the protocol can be, you know, in the clinical trial can be recruited uh, quicker and then, you know, the trial would close sooner and hopefully, ultimately, the drug or the treatment would get to market sooner and benefit the patient population. We also heard that they, um, you know, they wanted increased transparency and authenticity from the relationship. You know, oftentimes, I, I think both sides had great intentions. But pharmaceutical companies were very nervous about talking with patient advocacy groups about when a drug is about to go off patent, or when perhaps they're just not doing any research anymore in a therapeutic area. And what we heard from the patient advocacy groups is, you know, be honest, be open, be upfront with us, tell us sooner. Let's have an open dialogue. We realize this is for you, um, but, you know, if you give us some heads up, we can work together to figure out, a, you know, a good path forward, but they definitely wanted um, just a little, you know, more transparency in that area. Well, the other place they, they seem to want more transparency has to do with everything from clinical trials to pricing, particularly in this age of social media where there's this perception that it can easily be accomplished. What what are you seeing in terms of those tensions? So we really didn't probe on pricing per se. I mean, being in this business for over 20 years means everyone knows pricing is a big issue. Um, and I don't know really, you know, social media has allowed the patients to have a much greater voice in this area, but um, we specifically did not probe on, on pricing. But in, in terms of, if I remember correctly, there was talk about transparency in the sense of of sharing clinical trial details yep. when they become available and also pricing when it's known what their pricing plans are and, and companies not being forthcoming or quickly enough with that information. Yes, no, that's absolutely correct. I mean, again, one of the number one things the patient advocacy groups um, had on their wish list from the pharmaceutical industry was improved transparency. And so they, they wanted to know right from the beginning. They wanted all the information right from the beginning, and they wanted the, the pharmaceutical companies to be open and honest with them. So if they had good news, great. If they had bad news, they wanted to know that too. So if they knew that they were coming out with a treatment that the patient trainee so badly wanted, but the pricing was going to be um, quite high, they still wanted to know that, and they wanted 
you know, they wanted to know that early on. And, and, and you touched on this before, but, you know, advocates want to be included in education compounds, both for patients and providers. How much of this is a matter of staking out territory? Is, is, are these territorial issues? No, I really, we didn't hear it as a matter of territorial. Um, it's really, they, advocacy groups really felt like pharmaceutical companies, you know, really needed to understand the patient community. And while they felt, a couple of them mentioned that in the era of social media, that some pharmaceutical companies felt like they knew the patient better because of social media. Maybe they're monitoring, um, you know, a, a, a patient group, or maybe they are engaging on social media. So they felt like they knew the patient, but the but the patient advocacy group really felt like they could provide greater insight, and they wanted to provide those earlier on. They their frustration came when a, when a pharmaceutical company came to them with a a fully baked program and said, you know, join us. So oftentimes they would um, they would evaluate it, and sometimes they could join, and sometimes. They, they didn't because they have to remain um, loyal to their mission and vision. So if, if a pharmaceutical company came to them earlier in the process in the development of the campaign, uh, they felt like they might be able to co-develop something that would be more authentic and better serve the patient. They don't really view it as territorial, but just as something that would better serve their stakeholders. Well, the survey also found that patient advocate groups are, are aware that they could be doing things as better partners to pharmaceutical companies. What, what do they have to say in that regard? Well, I thought that was really interesting. Again, they understand that pharmaceutical companies are businesses and that, you know, um, patient advocacy groups have had various levels of sophistication, especially as they grow. And so what they have is self-realization that they can be better partners too. They could, you know, uh, be more timely in their feedback. They could stick to their promises that they've made and really run themselves more like a business. So it's a business-to-business relationship. Although they are representing a patient community that has an emotional component to it, they realize that they have to be, you know, better business partners. Well, in some ways, I wonder whether patient advocates have been unrealistic in their expectations about pharmaceutical companies. What do they think pharmaceutical companies want in exchange for financial support they provide? Is it is this a, a growing source of tension as they're rethinking the money they take from pharmaceutical companies and whether there needs to be more explicit expectations spelled out from both sides? I think that the basis of a good relationship, just like the basis that, you know, as I said before, you know, of a good marriage is to really have clear understandings of what both sides' expectations are right from the beginning. So that, I think, is the absolute basis for it. But I, I think that um, both the, both need each other and both have, um, you know, expectations and, you know, of each other and they can be met. So, I, you know, the patient advocacy group definitely provides um, a voice of the patient but also access to the patient. But, you know, the pharmaceutical companies are developing those life-saving drugs. So, I, again, I think that it is, uh, you know, a, a good marriage. Uh, it just needs a little tweaking or marriage counseling to, to really just um, iron out the bumps. The report is the new paradigm. The, sorry. The report is the new partnership paradigm, what patient advocates seek from pharmaceutical partners. Heather Gartman, Regional Managing Director of Inventive Health. Heather, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. 
For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.